Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the pandemic appears to have had a sobering effect on a lot of people. We have guidance on the end-of-life conversations millions of families are now having for the very first time. Also this morning, anxiety and depression among children has become less common as schools have reopened and normal activities have resumed, but cases are still higher than they were pre-pandemic. Could hypnosis offer an alternative treatment to traditional medication? Happening around town, Kahuna's All-Star Christmas Jam is back for the season. More significant than ever with its long-standing connection to the local Toys for Tots campaign and remembering Pearl Harbor 80 years later. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, December 7th, 2021. Today is International Civil Aviation Day. It is also Letter Writing Day, National Cotton Candy Day, and of course, it is National Pearl Harbor Remembrance Day in this 80th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Remembering that coming up here in just a bit. So, if you are not wanting to get out of bed this morning, and I fully understand, I have that myself uh, every so often probably more than every so often you roll over the alarm goes off and you think i really don't want to go out of get out of bed today because you haven't had a good night's sleep i kind of tossed and turned last night i don't know what it was but uh here is some advice for you if you want to sleep better you want to adopt the bedtime routine of a toddler Data shows that regular bedtimes, first of all, number one, regular bedtimes help improve toddlers' sleep quality, and the same holds true for adults. And by the way, they say your bedtime should be consistent across weekdays and weekends as well, which that ain't happening. Uh, Through the week, my alarm goes off at 3.30 in the morning so that I can uh, get in here and... uh, you know, get on the air at 6 a.m., 3.30 in the morning. Uh, ain't doing that on a Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> so there are exceptions for every rule. But generally, they say going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time each day, weekdays and weekends alike, uh, will help improve the quality of your sleep across the board. You should also take a hot bath or shower an hour or two before your planned bedtime. Um, a comprehensive study published a couple of years ago found that that will significantly shorten the time it takes to get to sleep. Uh, next, apply lotion, just like you would on a on your baby. Um, you apply lotion. Massage therapy has been shown to improve sleep in both children and adults, and applying lotion may act as a close approximation to getting a massage. And finally... Uh, Wrap up your bedtime routine with a language-based activity like reading. Give yourself a bedtime story is basically what they're saying. It has been shown to relax both children and adults. So, if you want to uh, sleep better, that's how you do it. So, just something to know as you are rolling out of bed this morning, kind of grumpy after what was less than an ideal night's sleep. Now you know how to prevent that. Here is what we are outraged by today. 
always have to have something to be outraged by. And this is what people are outraged by today. The El Paso County Sheriff's Department in Colorado, that's uh, Colorado Springs uh, area, so southern Colorado, El Paso County, has come under some criticism after posting a photo on its social media account of a man who looks very much like Santa Claus applying for a concealed carry gun permit. With the caption, guess who came in to receive receive his concealed handgun permit today? And it goes on to say, did you know that the El Paso County Sheriff's Office has issued 49,750 concealed handgun permits with another 2,560 waiting to be issued? It then had a link for more information. And that stirred a great amount of controversy. A lot of complaints about the message being sent. Now, there were others who were very supportive. The sheriff's office later posted a comment saying that we intended to highlight our staff in the concealed handgun permit office not to be insensitive. Santa correlates to the month of December, and we thought he would help to recognize our hardworking staff. So... That is what we are outraged by today. Santa applying for his concealed carry permit. (laughs) Don't mess with Santa. Don't mess with Santa when he comes down the the chimney on Christmas Eve. (laughs) He's not messing around. Don't be giving him any grief. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Speaking of the holiday season, this is peak eggnog time. Jim Shakers is the executive vice president at the Ohio Poultry Association says eggnog is a drinkable custard originally originating originating having trouble talking this morning it's the cold i'll blame it on the cold a drinkable custard originating from medieval britain the name eggnog he claims a combination of noggin which is a wooden cup from the era and grog a strong beer and uh And you get egg in there, you get eggnog. The drink became popular during the holidays since locally farmed eggs and milk, as well as locally made rum and whiskey, were readily available. Americans uh, then went on to create their own eggnog recipes. Variations exist today throughout the rest of the world under different names and contain different ingredients, but all include the creamy texture and sweet flavor, the FDA says that eggnog, to be eggnog officially, the drink's egg yolk content must be at least 1%. So, now you know. Just one of the uh, interesting stories I saw on the Newswire this morning. Better lay off the eggnog, though, if you're uh, putting on a few pounds, and a lot of us are. More than half of America's youngest adults, between the ages of 18 to 25 are overweight or obese, more than half, 56%. This according to research Johns Hopkins, published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. I really am having trouble talking this morning. I don't know what it is. Uh, Using data from a nationally representative sample of more than 8,000 people in that age bracket, 18 to 25, researchers compared average weights over the past four decades and over the course of Of 40 years, the population's average body mass index, which is the measure of body fat based on a person's height and weight, had increased by 4.6 points 
from 23.1, which is considered normal weight, to 27.7, which is considered to be the overweight category. It's a shift of a little more than one point a decade. Uh, That shifted the number of overweight young adults from about 18% in the late 70s to nearly 24% by 2018. The biggest spike in weight measurements, however, was in the prevalence of obesity, which increased from about 6% to nearly 33% today. Wow. 6% 40 years ago to now 1 in 3 in that age range, 18 to 25, are obese. The percentage of those with a BMI indicating a normal weight dropped from about 69% to 38%, so a correlating drop, obviously. BMI matters because being overweight or obese puts you at risk for a range of health problems, from high blood pressure to heart disease to osteoarthritis, type 2 diabetes, sleep apnea, and even some cancers. So continues to be a uh, issue of concern in this country. So speaking of medical news, however, how about some good medical news here? This may be the best news you hear (laughs) all day today, if you are a man. Taking Viagra could cut the risk of developing Alzheimer's. This is research from the Cleveland Clinic. They examined the medical data of 7 million Americans in their 70s. Tracking them for six years, results showed adults who took sildenafil, which is the main ingredient in the little blue pill, were 69% less likely to develop Alzheimer's compared to people who did not use that medication. Uh, By the way, sildenafil uh, is not just Viagra. It's also used to treat high blood pressure and appeared to perform better than a couple of other drugs currently being used in human trials against Alzheimer's. So they may have stumbled across uh, something important here. Lead researcher Dr. Fexing Sheng admitted that clinical trials are needed to confirm whether the impotence drug can truly ward off the memory uh Uh, the dementia disease, but uh, separate laboratory projects showed it can increase brain cell growth and stop harmful proteins from building up in the brain. And that they believe is what uh, causes uh, less Alzheimer's case among Alzheimer's or less Alzheimer's among patients taking Viagra. So that is interesting. Uh, and somewhat handy to know. There you go. Uh, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, partly to mostly cloudy today with a high of 28, a chance of a little snow tonight, a low of 23. The Finley Police Department and Hancock County Sheriff's Office could end up getting body and cruiser cameras through a new state grant program. Finley Mayor Christina Mearns spoke at a news conference in Columbus in which the governor announced a $250 million grant program to help first responder agencies across Ohio. And so whether it be in Finley as we look at dash and body cams or looking at mental health for our community members or for our police and first responders, this will make a true difference. 
The grant program will be paid for by funds from the American Rescue Plan Act, and local communities will have flexibility in how they will be allowed to use those funds. Get more on our website. The city of Findlay says it's moving forward with plans to ensure that the benching area east of North Main Street not only serves its primary purpose of flood mitigation, but also provides a broader community benefit. The city is taking the lead with support of other local entities to find a firm to assist in developing plans on how the benching area can be used for recreation purposes or as a gathering area in conjunction with its flood reduction benefits. Get more on our website. A missionary group based in Northeast Ohio has announced that a violent gang in Haiti has released three more hostages while another 12 remain captive. The statement from Christian Aid Ministries said the people were released Sunday in Haiti and are safe and seem to be in good spirits. The group provided no further details. On November 21st, the religious organization announced the 400 Mawozo gang had released the first two hostages of a group of 17 kidnapped in mid-October. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. The Salvation Army's Red Kettle campaign is in full swing in Findlay. We bumped into Elaine and Kevin from Candu Studios as they were manning the Red Kettle at the 6th Street Kroger in Findlay. You can also donate to the Findlay Salvation Army's virtual Red Kettle. Get more information about that on our website. The Salvation Army says the need is greater than ever, and your donation will help them continue their programs now and throughout 2022. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. As I mentioned earlier, today is the anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. More than 3,000 Americans perished. A major portion of the U.S. Pacific Fleet was left in tatters. The attack, 80 years ago today, propelled the United States into World War II, of course. And this morning, we remember... Pearl Harbor, 80 years later, with a snapshot in time through the news reports and radio bulletins from the day that will live in infamy. And now he's hit and hit hard about the 27 yard line. Bruiser Kennard made the tackle. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this important bulletin from the United Press. Flash, Washington. The White House announces Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. From the NBC newsroom in New York. President Roosevelt said in a statement today that the Japanese have attacked the Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, from the air. By shortwave radio, Columbia now brings you reports from its foreign correspondents overseas with summaries of the latest world news presented over these stations by Golden Eagle Gasoline. Go ahead, New York. The Japanese have attacked Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, by air, President Roosevelt has just announced. The attack also was made on all naval and military activities on the principal island of Oahu. The Japanese dive bombers have been making continuous attacks, apparently from a Japanese aircraft carrier. Aerial dogfights are raging in the skies over Honolulu itself. Damage to the Pearl Harbor base has not yet been verified, but the White House, and as Mr. Warner told you, Admiral Block, fear a heavy loss of life in Hawaii. We will continue to interrupt all regularly scheduled programs to bring you latest developments from Washington and from our correspondents in the field. We may, of course, interrupt the Prudential program with the latest bulletins from time to time. The details are not available. They will be in a few minutes. The White House is now giving out a statement. 
Go ahead, Honolulu. We have witnessed this morning the attack of Pearl Harbor and a severe bombing of Pearl Harbor by Army planes, undoubtedly Japanese. The city of Honolulu has also been attacked and considerable damage done. This battle has been going on for nearly three hours. <clears throat> One of the bombers dropped within 50 feet of Tanti Tower. It's no joke, it's a real war. And hostilities of this kind would naturally mean that the president would ask Congress for a declaration of war. There is no doubt from the temper of Congress that such a declaration would be granted. And here are a few late bulletins. The United States Army issued an official statement this morning in Honolulu declaring enemy aircraft have been shot down. There was no description of the number of planes or their location. Governor Joseph B. Poindexter declared a state of emergency existed throughout the Hawaiian Islands. Here comes a bulletin. The War Department has invoked the Espionage Act against the publication of military information regarded as secret. We all know that, and uh, we can't any longer state anything about Army strength outside the continental limits of the United States. As to uh, the uh, watch over the Japanese community, the sheriff has sort of taken charge there at Little Tokyo and has gone, uh, gathered up a number of volunteers, and they have set up a volunteer... Uh, watching post and they're watching the Japanese but they haven't had any reason to do anything and people on both sides of the fence there are remaining calm and decent which is certainly good news we've just had a flash Tokyo saying that a state of war exists with the United States in Los Angeles California all aircraft observation posts were ordered manned by observers immediately in an order issued by Brigadier General William O'Ryan, commanding general of the 4th Interceptor Command, which has jurisdiction over the southwestern portion of the United States. Asks that all radio stations make the following announcement. The Secretary of War directs that all firms and manufacturing plants who have defense contracts or who are working on defense orders will at once institute proper measures against sabotage. We interrupt this program to bring you a special broadcast. Here's the bulletin. Washington, the president decided today after Japan's attack on Pearl Harbor and Manila to call an extraordinary meeting of the cabinet for 8.30 p.m. tonight and to have congressional leaders of both parties join the conference at 9 p.m. There will be no radio broadcasting tonight after 7 o'clock. There will be no programs broadcast, but any information necessary for the civilian populace will be broadcast over KIRO probably. There will be a complete blackout tonight at 11 o'clock. Every light between the California border, or rather the Mexican border, and the Canadian border, that is in the states of Oregon, Washington, and California. Every farmhouse, every light of any kind in that area must be out by 11 o'clock. If you're unable to find materials and so forth to make your uh, windows completely sealed so that no light will leak out, you must have your lights off. However, do not pull main switches. No lights are to be used on automobiles and no lights whatever are to be shown anywhere on the Pacific Coast until 30 minutes after daylight. Maury, did you have something to say? Just to add to what you've said, Jack, is this. Please do not use the telephone more than necessary because you do block the lines of communication. We must keep them clean. And here's another bulletin handed me. All traffic signal blackout crew, of which there are approximately 300 members, report immediately to J.W. Belong, traffic engineer at 400 County City Building. And we'll be back, ladies and gentlemen, with information when ordered by the United States Army Interceptor Command here in Seattle. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, 
a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. No matter how long it may take us, the American people in their righteous might will win through to absolute victory. Really interesting in uh, hearing some of those uh, news reports and uh, news bulletins, particularly uh, from radio stations on the West Coast. And you can only imagine the fear that those living on the Pacific Coast must have felt uh, upon hearing the news of the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor. And also interesting the to uh, hear uh, all of the mention of... You know, we'll be back with uh, information as directed by the government. Uh, just imagining the different mindset then versus uh, kind of the, the media today. Very interesting. So certainly a defining moment for the greatest generation. 80 years ago today, the attack on Pearl Harbor. And by the way, I happen to see this story. Speaking of the greatest generation, this story on the Newswire this morning, the last member, the last surviving member of the Band of Brothers has died. World War II veteran Edward Shames, who was the last surviving officer of Easy Company, which inspired the 2001 HBO miniseries Band of Brothers and the 1992 book on which it was based, passed away this past Friday at his home in Virginia at the age of 99. During World War II, he was a member of the renowned Easy Company, 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment, 101st Airborne Division, Fought in many of the world's uh, the the war's uh, major battles, an online obituary said he made his first combat jump into Normandy on D-Day as part of Operation Overlord. After the world uh, after the war, uh, he worked for the National Security Agency as an expert on Middle East affairs. World War II veteran Edward Shames, last surviving officer in the uh, Band of Brothers, dead at the age of ninety nine, and we remember. All of the lives lost in uh, World War II and the greatest generation as a whole today. Well, the pandemic appears to have had a sobering effect on a lot of people. A new study from Edward Jones Financial finds one-third of U.S. adults had a conversation with close family members about their end-of-life plans and preferences over the past year to 18 months. Allison Carney serves as Director of Trust Services and Chief Administration Officer of the Edward Jones Trust Company. And Allison, this has long been something that financial advisors have been telling people that they need to do, so I would guess that you view this as a good thing in that respect. Were you surprised that the numbers were that dramatic? You know, Chris, it, a little bit. I was a little surprised to see 44.5 million Americans having these conversations for the first time. Um, and yeah, so much, so much doom and gloom has been going on with the pandemic. I guess we can see this as a little bit of a silver lining. There's, there's just a lot more openness and willingness to talk about health, finances, end of life. Mm -hmm. Such important conversations to be having with family members, um, so that we're, uh, we're all kind of on the same page with some topics that, 
you know, can get pretty sticky pretty fast. Yeah. Now, uh, that being said, having the conversation is one thing. Talking about the right things when you have the conversation is something else. What are some of the most uh, essential subjects and end-of-life documents and that kind of thing uh, to have in place? Kind of give, give us an idea of where this conversation should go. It's not a one-size-fits-all, but what I would say is talk first to your financial advisor. Um, so a financial advisor knows a lot about you. They know a lot about your family, and of course they know a lot about your finances. And those are two critical ingredients um, or components of end-of-life and estate plans. So your financial advisor can kind of help you think through what are those talking points? What are those things that I want to relay to my loved ones about the plans I have in place already or the plans that I need to put in place? Am I going to share information about my uh, you know, financial assets or am I going to keep it a little bit more generic? Uh, there's a lot of decisions, a lot of choices, a lot of different ways to approach the conversation. And that's going to really depend from you know person to person, family to family. Yeah. And, and as it relates to, to the documents mm-hmm. um, that outline the wishes that we all should kind of, you know, have out there, uh, there's three essential documents. And again, will vary from person to person and from state to state. But those documents are a will, a medical directive, and a power of attorney. Um, so just a, a quick a quick uh, tutorial on what those are, Chris. So the, the will, sometimes called a, a last will and testament, mm-hmm. it's a document that allows you to say where your assets are going to go after you pass away and who's going to be in charge of handling all of that. It's also a place for um, folks that have minor children to name a legal guardian if that should be needed. Next is that medical directive. Sometimes this is called a living will. Mm-hmm. or a healthcare declaration. It goes by a couple different names. And this is a document that allows you to share what, what sort of treatments you do or don't want in the event that you're in some sort of persistent vegetative state, something that none of us want to think about, but right. something we all should plan for. Right. And then the last is that power of attorney. So you got to name somebody to step into your shoes if you're incapacitated and can't make those important financial or, or legal or, or medical decisions for yourself. So very critical stuff. And and just to emphasize uh, one of the things you were mentioning earlier uh, is that there's no one size fits all, no uh, universal right or wrong answer. Uh, That's going to vary depending uh, on your own situation. Now, speaking to the other two thirds that apparently still have not had these discussions, what are some ways to start having the conversation around end of life health and financial considerations with family members, with loved ones, because as you mentioned, this is something that can get very sticky, very difficult, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. So there's there's still two-thirds of folks out there that see these roadblocks as being just too big to overcome, right? We don't want to have family conflicts. We don't want to burden our family members. We don't want to be uncomfortable. Um, and so, again, I, I think really one of the, one of the critical ways um, to kind of overcome those roadblocks is preparation. Anytime I'm nervous about doing something or I'm, I'm feeling dread in terms of doing it, I, I just prepare. And one way to prepare is, is to sit down with that financial advisor and say, hey, I know I need to have this conversation with my loved one, with my adult child, whatever the case may be. 
how do I get started and what what does it look like for me to share information about about my wishes? And that financial advisor can kind of help you sort out your thoughts. Um, it likely won't be the first time that they're having that conversation with with a uh, with a customer or a client. So I would definitely start there to help you get your ducks in a row as it relates to the wishes that you have and and any financial decisions or information that you might want to share in that conversation. We referenced the uh, study that you uh, put out there uh, that kind of leads uh, to what we're talking about uh, today about uh, the the fact that one third of U.S. adults had a conversation about end of life plans and preferences uh, over the past year to 18 months with the pandemic. Uh, what were some of the other things that you gleaned from that survey? Were there any other uh, things that stood out to you in that survey? So, Chris, a couple of things. The, the first is a silver lining, I'll call it, of folks talking about these things more openly. That's great. But we're just not seeing a lot of action. We're not seeing a lot of Americans actually put their documents in place. Hmm. They just don't know how to get started or don't want to get started. So there's this gap between the intention, knowing I need to do something, and then actually sitting down and doing it. So that's the part that um, wasn't necessarily surprising to me, but I think that that gap was just highlighted even further in my mind through the study. The second thing that surprised me is that 53 million Americans wish their parents and in-laws did a better job of managing their money. Hmm. So what that tells me is that mom and dad might be nervous to have a conversation with adult children about these difficult topics, but it turns out that adult children want to have these conversations. They want to ensure that mom and dad are managing their money appropriately um, and potentially, I don't know, provide some help, support, et cetera. So I, I think that, um, that that was probably one of the more surprising stats that, that came through for me. Really interesting stuff. Again, Allison Carney is a Director of Trust Services and Chief Administration Officer of the Edward Jones Trust Company. Uh, where do folks learn more about this survey and uh, maybe get some uh, thought starters, idea starters on uh, broaching this subject? So all of that information can be found at edwardjones.com slash newretirement. Well, rates of depression and anxiety have fallen from the peak numbers that we saw at the height of the COVID pandemic, but they are still higher than they were pre-pandemic. Of particular concern has been the impact on all of this on younger children. We've talked about it a number of times. And of course, while parents want to do everything they can to help their kids, many are hesitant to go down the pharmaceutical route to do that. Our next guest, though, says clinical hypnosis may offer an alternative. Dr. Ron Ambar is a pediatrician, past president of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, and author of the new book, Changing Children's Lives with, with Hypnosis. So, Dr. Ambar, first off, let me address the first thing that I can hear many parents saying. I'm not sure that I'm any more comfortable with the idea of hypnosis either. What do you find are the most common misperceptions? What do you tell parents who are unsure of this form of treatment? So good morning. Thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, help dispel some of the myths about hypnosis. So hypnosis is not what people think. It does not involve a magician, does not involve mind control. It's not sleep. Uh, what you see on stage is people who choose to volunteer 
and then they follow the magician's instructions, but they're doing it to themselves. So the only mind control in hypnosis is the control you exert on your own mind. The, so how does this uh, help, especially when traditional medical therapy isn't working, or as we said, uh, parents, uh, especially with children, are sometimes hesitant of uh, you know, using drugs and such? So people have a wonderful ability to use their own minds to help themselves. They just don't realize it. Uh, when I work with children, I teach them that with hypnosis, which means clinically uh, changing your mindset, <clears throat> using your imagination, uh, they can change how they react to uh, difficulties in their lives. In the case of COVID-related anxiety, for example, they can learn to remain calm and think about the stressors in a way that helps them feel better as opposed to worse. So now this this is something that you uh, found your way to. This is not necessarily something that you initially started. You were a convert yourself, correct? That's correct. I'm a pediatric pulmonologist by training. I work with children with lung disease. And I had a, a young man with uh, bad asthma and allergies to milk products. And one day he came in and he said to me, hey, when I smell cheeseburgers, I develop asthma attacks, which I thought was rather strange. And when I asked him to imagine eating a cheeseburger, he developed an asthma attack in front of my eyes. And it was hard to believe. And I wondered, hmm, if your imagination can bring you into an illness, can your imagination bring you out? And later I found out that was hypnosis. So... You mentioned one example. Are there others that uh, are, are, you know, maybe along the lines, again, we talk about the uh, stress, depression, anxiety that many kids uh, have experienced during the COVID pandemic. Are, Are there examples of ways in which those problems can be addressed through hypnosis that you have experienced? Absolutely. So, Again, the way I think of hypnosis is that any person can benefit from using hypnosis to help themselves. And if you have a chronic symptom, such as anxiety or depression, uh, then changing your mindset using hypnosis will help alleviate uh, your distress. I have in my book many examples of children, not only with anxiety and depression, but children with headaches or stomach aches or bedwetting. Uh, hair, uh, hair pulling, all sorts of behaviors, all sorts of symptoms that improve by learning to change the mindset. In the case of people with uh, anxiety or depression related to COVID, one of the things we talk about is how you think. If you think about COVID as something really bad, it makes you feel bad. If you think of the opportunities COVID has given us, it, it makes you feel better. Now, when I talk about opportunities, I'm talking about things like noticing how the environment cleaned up when we were in lockdown, so we have a better understanding of mankind's impact on the environment, Hmm. or spending time at home learning a new skill, which is something they would not have had the opportunity to do without the COVID lockdowns, as an example. Um, Now, just to kind of clarify, you were talking about uh, addressing issues like bedwetting or uh, hair pulling or things like this. Those are manifestations of larger issues. Are you in hypnosis uh, simply uh, treating the symptoms without addressing the cause behind them? That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked it. So, so no, I think that for hypnosis, for any medical therapy to be effective, including hypnosis, you need to treat the root cause. Mm-hmm. So in the case of anxiety leading to, let's say, nail biting, you need to help the child 
deal with the anxiety as opposed to just stopping to bite the nails. If they stop biting the nails, they're still anxious, and you've done a half job. Yeah. So with all of this in mind, what are some questions to ask uh, for parents if they are considering whether hypnosis may be the right answer? And how do you find someone who is qualified to practice this type of therapy? I would imagine that they're not everywhere. Correct. So if you have a chronic medical condition that's not completely improved with standard Western therapy, medical therapy, think about hypnosis because, again, the mind is powerful. The mind can affect the way symptoms present. Sometimes the mind even causes symptoms. So in any child who has chronic symptoms that don't improve, you should think about hypnosis. Uh, If a child has a lot of emotional reactions to their symptoms, such as crying or uh, being depressed, that suggests hypnosis could be helpful. If you want to find a practitioner of hypnosis, you can consult the website of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, ASCH.net, and they have lots of uh, therapists around the country who can provide this therapy. You are correct. There are not many people who do hypnosis yet, and I'm working on changing that by teaching mm-hmm. other physicians and healthcare practitioners how to do hypnosis. Let me circle back to you know, part of where we started. We were talking about some uh, parents may not necessarily still be comfortable uh, with this idea. You also say that there are ways that families can incorporate some of the logic, some of the principles of hypnosis, the concepts, into their interactions with their kids on a daily basis, things that may not necessarily be hypnosis, but apply some of the same concepts. Very good. So, so in my book, I describe every chapter has the discussion of hypnosis principles in action that doesn't necessarily involve hypnosis. A simple one is using positive language. So when you confront a difficult situation, rather than saying, this situation makes me feel bad, you might tell yourself, I will feel better when such and such occurs. And by taking the positive approach, your mind starts thinking, how do I get to that desired outcome? And this helps in the healing process. Again, Dr. Ron Ambar is uh, the author of the new book, Changing Children's Lives with Hypnosis, talking about how all of this applies to many of the mental health stressors that we saw during the uh, height of the COVID pandemic that uh, still remain prevalent today. Do you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? Absolutely. The website is dranbar.com. So it's dr. Anbar, A, N as a Nancy, B as in boy, A-R, dot com. Dr. Anbar, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Uh, sports news in the broken news report this morning. The Philadelphia Flyers, if you follow hockey at all, The Philadelphia Flyers are struggling early on in the uh, new NHL season, and apparently uh, an act of cruel irony provided the perfect metaphor for how things are going. Uh, After the team fired its former head coach uh, amid an eight-game losing streak on Monday, a police canine that was uh, appearing as part of a promotion uh, uh, at the next uh, game walked to center ice 
and did his business right on the Flyers logo. There, there it's center, center ice. <laughs> Just <laughs> took a dump right there on the ice on the center. <laughs> the police canine. A uh, tweet sharing uh, shared an uh, update to the situation in which the canine's name is confirmed to be Dutch from the Burlington City Police Department. The department jokingly tweeted that the dog is a New York Rangers fan, as it turns out. But <laughs> it's the perfect metaphor for how things are going. The Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> I love that. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, this from the uh, international file. Uh, it, it's not just in this country that fast food is one of those things that gets people irrationally angry sometimes. A man in the UK recently went to court, had to appear in court after a McDonald's worker claims that he threatened the worker with a BB gun. With the, the, apparently, the victim says he was dealing with traffic issues outside of the McDonald's location when Arthur Walker tried to leave the drive through queue, causing issues for other motorists. When the worker told uh, Mr. Walker what to do, Mr. Walker produced a realistic-looking firearm and pointed it out the car window, threatening him. Uh, they later found out it was just a BB gun uh, for which they found ammunition at his father's home. The incident uh, back in June, uh, Mr. Walker had three previous convictions, has been sentenced to 16 months suspended with two years of rehabilitation. So... <laughs> threatened a uh, fast food worker with a uh, BB gun. It's not just in this country that uh, people get irate at fast food windows, apparently. Speaking of Great Britain, uh, a man, <laughs> British man, was uh, worried that his new girlfriend might dump him if she found out he was in the process of building the biggest model railway in the country. Simon George says, instead of telling her the truth, he kept the massive structure hidden in the basement of a building he told his girlfriend he had rented to store wine in. <laughs> this after he told her that he was a wine merchant by trade. He wanted to impress her, you understand. So he explained that his wine cellar uh, was actually his huge, gigantic model railroad. He spent eight years building this 200-foot-long display, which recreates a mile-and-a-half stretch of real train tracks in West Yorkshire. He says, I met Marie about two years ago. We started dating. I led her to believe I was a wine merchant. It sounded sexier than saying I was building a model railway, which usually sends women running. But one day she came down to the cellar and said, Where's all the wine? <laughs> That's when I had to tell her the truth. He bit, did point out that she has an art degree, so she appreciated the level of detail and work that went into the model railroad, but he says, we are not engaged. <laughs> that tells you how that story ends. We're not engaged. <laughs> uh, other items in the uh, broken news this morning. An Iowa man has been... Now, normally... When people die, uh, it, it, we don't have those stories in the broken news because generally it's not humorous when people lose their life. However, there are exceptions to every rule. An Iowa man has been sentenced to 30 years in federal prison for killing another man uh, over cigarettes. Jermaine Walker made a plea deal 
Prosecutors dropped the first-degree murder charge. He pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter for shooting Wayne Jones two years ago. Police say Mr. Walker was, uh, or Mr. Jones, rather, was smoking. No, I'm sorry. Mr. Walker, the man who's in prison now, he was smoking other people's cigarettes at a party in Cedar Rapids when Mr. Jones called him cheap and uh, Mr. Walker shot and killed him. And I read that story and I thought, well, they they say that smoking kills. I don't think that's exactly what they meant by that phrase. But smoking will kill you (laughs) one way or the other. I guess. Uh, Let's see. Here is a word to the wise. If you are planning on getting rich by selling phony COVID-19 vaccine cards, don't brag about it on social media. Amar Salim Shabazz, age 23, from Maryland, has been charged with distributing fake COVID-19 vaccine cards for profit, according to court documents obtained by the Washington Post. (laughs) Under an Instagram post, in all caps, he said, I sell proof of vaccination cards. He also posted uh, similar notices uh, at bars and restaurants uh, requiring guests to show proof of vaccination cards, according to the complaint. In his private messages on the app, um, on the Instagram app, prosecutors alleged he told another individual, I'm going to be rich. (laughs) Instead, he now faces up to 20 years behind bars. (laughs) Don't brag about it on social media. That's... Always a good idea. And finally, in the broken news this morning, we'll end on a happy note. Chef Cindy Houston of Coral Gables, Florida, says a fiberglass flamingo statue that was stolen from outside her Florida home has been returned just as mysteriously as it disappeared. Ms. Houston says the statue previously uh, sat outside of a now-closed iconic restaurant in Coral Gables, And uh, when the restaurant closed, she got it and put it outside her home, but it was taken last week while she was out of town. She made a public plea for the return of the statue and says it was returned just outside the range of her security camera while she was out on Sunday evening. She says she is happy to have the statue back and adds it will now be kept in a more secure location. But it has a happy ending, so that's good. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news. This update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. A Christmas card from our family at WFIN to you and yours. This is Paul Keels, the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Let me take this chance to wish Buckeye fans and all WFIN listeners the very best for the holiday season. Happy Holidays from 1330 WFIN and now at 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. I mentioned earlier that uh, doing the program this morning from my home studio, I woke up, I saw the temperature was like 19 degrees with a single digit wind chill. And I said, nope, (laughs) not not leaving the house today. I'm just going to hunker down here and stay nice and toasty warm. 
Uh, and lots of Americans over the course of the past year and a half have started working from home. Uh, some were working full time from home for a while. Uh, many, well, some still are, but many people are perhaps doing a hybrid thing, working at home some of the time. Uh, so a new survey uh, looked at how we're getting along after a year plus of remote working. And there is good news and bad news in the results. One in five remote workers in this non-scientific survey of 2,400 people, one in five <laughs> say that they have considered breaking up or divorcing their partner over their work-at-home habits. <laughs> wow, that is brutal, brutally honest and just brutal right there. One in five. Now, the good news is, I mean, that's the statistic that kind of jumps out at you, but the good news is that 70% of couples say that working from home has actually strengthened their relationship. And shh, don't tell the boss, but 35% say that they have uh, <clears throat> been romantic during work hours. <laughs> I will plead the fifth on that. Um now, that doesn't mean that we are not getting on each other's nerves. 43% say that their partner distracts them at work. 43% uh, say their significant other infringes on their personal workspace from time to time. 40% of the remote working respondents uh, work at home with a spouse or a significant other. And more than half of them argue over home cleanliness during the course of the day. As a matter of fact... Uh, cleanliness seems to be a particular point of contention here. Um, 61% of couples argue about the cleanliness of each other's at-home workspaces. So it might not be a surprise that 73% of remote workers admit that they have cleaned their homes while they are on the clock when they're supposed to be working, uh, spending an average of two and a half hours a week doing so. Now, before, if you're the boss, don't get too upset about that. 83% say the cleanliness of their workspace affects their productivity, their stress levels, and their motivation. So maybe it's a good thing. But this, again, kind of interesting, and it relates to the cleanliness thing. Thanks to Zoom calls, we are able to peer into the homes of our coworkers, and the survey shows we are judgy about it. 70% say that they have judged a coworker based on their home environment. And 38% say they are embarrassed by the lack of cleanliness in their own office workspace on camera. And 28% of respondents admit that they have left something embarrassing in camera view while working from home. Uh, for example, one employee said they left a pair of underwear hanging on their office chair. <laughs> that would be embarrassing. See, that's why I like... Working in radio, because you can't see the underwear hanging on my chair here <laughs> in my home studio. It is back this year, Kahuna's All-Star Christmas Jam to benefit Toys for Tots uh, with our uh, Classic Rock sister station, 106.3 The Fox. The Big Kahuna is uh, with us uh, in the studio, and uh, it's good to be back uh, with a real crowd. Well, I'll tell you what, we did, yeah, we did it last year, and we did a live streaming and it was the musicians really liked to be able to fact to get together, but it was different not having a crowd. There. Yeah, because I mean performers feed off the crowd, Absolutely. so to be Absolutely. there, that is a uh, big deal. And especially this year 
we've we've heard the uh, news, everything that has happened with Toys for Tots, so it becomes an even bigger deal this this time around. Uh, you know, the thing about the the the, the jam is that it, it turned out to be more than just um, uh, a night for us to showcase some of the local talent. It really has turned out to be one of the cool events that we do every year, and the fact that it's not just about the music; it's about the giving. Uh, the family, not just the musicians, but the, we get the same people coming every year crowd wise. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 really turned into something a little bit more organic than I'd anticipated. Yeah, uh, the the genesis of this was just hey, let's get together and uh, you know put together an all star band. <laughs> well, we used to do it on a flatbed trailer at Christmas time, and we did it outside. We would pick four different locations, and we would pull the trailer with equipment on it, with uh, drums and everything. <laughs> And I got to thinking, you know, we're freezing doing this. Why do we do that? So let's move it indoors. So we picked up a lot more people, and it's certainly been a lot easier on me. Yeah, I would imagine so. Uh, so Alexandria is this place uh, tomorrow night. Yep. Uh, and like I said, you've had a number of the same musicians yeah. uh, year this, after year, which is another cool thing they yeah. want to come back. Right. Yeah. It's the seventh year we've done this. Uh, doors will open at 5. The show starts at 7. And uh, you're right. We do have the same core of people that like to play every year. And then the the thing that is great for me is that we pick up new people along the way. And we've got mm-hmm. four or five new, maybe more than that, people that are going to be joining this year that have never done it before. And it's funny because they have all the questions that everybody had the first time they go around. So every year you got to go through the routine and everything. So. Which are, what, are the, what is the first thing that, that they ask? I, I'm guessing. Um, the, the, the big question is, where do we practice? <laughs> That's what I was. That's what I was guessing. The, the big question would be, "What about rehearsal?" And, and that has actually evolved a little bit because it used to be we we just practiced the night before, so everybody got their songs, they learned them on their own, mm-hmm. practiced the night before, and then uh, as we've gotten a little bit more uh, difficult songs, we've kind of gotten a little cocky over the years. <laughs> so we'll pick songs a little bit more difficult. I mean, we did a Trans Siberian Orchestra song a couple of years ago, so. Uh, what has happened is some of these groups have gotten together and said, hey, we might need a little extra practice so they get together on their own. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And That's so awesome. we've had a couple of that. We did that with one of the tunes I'm on this year. We practiced last Thursday. and uh, But we get together Wednesday night or, thir- or Tuesday night the night before, run it once and do it the next night. There so it is. That's no, the big question. Is, yeah. When do we practice? That That's actually one of the things that makes it kind of fun. For what? I mean, it's not, it, this is not, uh, you know, like the, the Grammy stage. Correct. So. Right. Yeah. It's not like being at the Ryman, uh, you know, people. So, you know, it is a roll of the dice, but that's the beauty of it. You're yeah. right. Is that even the ones that don't necessarily go as planned. Yeah, uh, it's the thought that counts, just and, like Christmas and, and everything else. And you know that people are having fun. I right. mean, for me in the audience, because uh, sure. my wife and I have gone uh, just about every year, yeah. and that's the the fun part of it is to see the musicians having so well, much fun. That's our little secret, Chris. I do this because I'm not a very good musician. You surround yourself <laughs> with people who are, and you have fun. Amen to that. So, what is on the uh, set list? Well, we um, we've had a couple. This has been a rough year for the classic rock community. We've lost a couple of rockers, so we're going to do a couple of tribute tunes. We're going to do uh, one for the uh, Dusty Hill, the bass player in ZZ Top. So we're going to mm. do a couple of ZZ Top tunes. Yeah. And then obviously Charlie uh, from the Stones. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do a couple of, of uh, Stones tunes, um, which is going to be different. And of course, we also do um, try to do about five Christmas songs in addition to some of the regular songs. Right. And we're doing some, um, we're doing a little R&B. Uh, we're doing a little pop, but kind of our version of pop. We're going to do, uh, <laughs> we're going to do uh, uh, Uptown Funk. 
but it's going to be uh, an all-star band version of Uptown Funk. That should be fun. So That's another that's one of the other fun things is that you can kind of yeah. branch out. I mean, there are musicians who are playing things that they don't normally right. play. Yeah. And that's what makes it fun. So we have guys that are in country bands and gals that are in rock bands and mm-hmm. pop bands and they all come together and we try to make sure that they, you know, intermingle so we don't have uh, a lot of the guys that are normally playing together on a song. So right. we'll do uh, 19 songs and uh, probably about 40 different artists. So each song will have a different lineup, but we bring them on and we do the song. They leave and we do another one. And uh, yeah. it's it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. And a- admission uh, is free, but right. we encourage you to bring a toy or make a, a monetary donation. That was one of the things that I wanted to do when we started doing this is I, I never wanted to charge a uh, cover charge. I wanted everybody to be able to come in. And mm-hmm. it's an all-age show. Yeah. And uh, that's but, that's important too. It yes. is it is family friendly. Um, but it does get uh, it does go long. It'll probably be ten o'clock this year. I think when we get it wrapped up. So it could be a late night for some of the younger kids. But um, but yeah, no cover charge. If you can bring a new unwrapped toy or make a monetary donation, we leave a guitar case open. People can put tips in there if you will. And, yeah. Uh, and it's uh, going to help. We are doing something different this year. We are doing five reserve tables, a uh, hundred bucks a piece. Uh, as of now, three of them are spoken for, and that money is going to go directly to Toys for Tots. We haven't done that before. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and uh, again, kudos to Alexander is for oh, hosting too. Yeah, so, yeah, and both nights because um, right tonight when we do the rehearsal, uh, it we make a lot of noise, and Rob sometimes <laughs> comes down and says, ah. and then Wednesday night they are just super host, and we this is the only place we've ever done the Christmas. Gym. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, tomorrow night, and it begins when the doors open at doors open at five. five. Show okay. starts at seven. All right, so uh, make your way down to uh, Alexandria's Help Out Toys for Tots, uh, especially this year, and check out all of the fun. It's an awful lot of fun uh, at uh, Kahuna's All-Star Christmas Jam, the big kahuna from our sister station, 106.3 The Fox, with us this morning. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Always appreciate it. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for being with us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the show, State Representative John Cross has introduced a major new piece of legislation aimed at educating and expanding Ohio's workforce. He will join us to talk about the Grow Ohio Act. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.